Welcome to the Data Strategy Gurus Podcast. In this show, we bring together the brightest minds in the world of data strategy, data management, artificial intelligence, and disruptive technologies. Thought leaders and experts share their insights, knowledge, and experience on how to stay ahead of the game in an ever-evolving data landscape. Whether you're a data professional, a business leader, or simply someone who is passionate about the power of data, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey to explore the world of data, analytics, artificial intelligence, tech, and beyond. Hi, and welcome to the Data Strategy Gurus podcast. Today, we have Bill Inman on the podcast. Um, People, you can't imagine how happy I am to have the godfather of the data warehouse here with us today. Bill, uh, thanks for your time and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Delighted to, to have a discussion with you on where we came from and where things are going. I don't know if you have anything to add to the audience. If they don't know you already, they're really missing out a a great person that really meant a lot on on data warehousing, on data. And you're still in the field uh, following you with uh, ventures like Edscale and everything related to semantics. So anything else you want to add in this? Well, first off, it's a real pleasure to be here today. Uh, And it's, it's been a long time since we've talked. Uh, uh, and and uh, I, I live in Denver, Colorado, with my wife and my two Scotty dogs. They, my Scotty dogs, keep me uh, uh, keep me in mind. They've trained me well over the years. And uh, 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 and in a few minutes, uh, my wife is going to have to feed them because I'm going to be on the podcast. Wow! So <laughs> I get more attention than your dogs right now, if I understand. <laughs> So, Bill, yeah, it's, it's really an honor. Uh, and, 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 well, I think we can bring the discussion a bit on where were we back in the 60s, the 70s, and the 90s when the concept of data warehousing and your co- uh, corporate information factory uh, found its way through organizations to get insights from, from data and really insights-driven. Maybe you can walk us a bit around memory lane and how things started up. And you were, you were the guy doing the 3NF uh, data modeling for the data warehouses where we had uh, Kimball, Ralph Kimball, dimensional modeling. And it was kind of battle back in the days. No, you have to do it 3NF. You have to do it uh, the Kimball way. What What is good? What is bad? But in fact, it's a, it's a hybrid solution in my experience, building data warehousing and, 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 and data lakes and whatever you can call it to gather the data and build the insights. What are your takes on that? Where we came from? Uh, back down memory lane in the, in the 90s? Well, certainly. Uh, it depends on how far you want to go back. Uh, once upon a time, uh, there was uh, data architecture consisted of uh, defining keys and attributes and putting them into a database. And, and, and then we decided that we needed to be a bit more organized about it. And so the whole concept of database grew up. Uh, uh, and the idea behind the database, the first theoretician said a database was a, uh, a source of data for, for all processing. Uh, uh, and then we started to build databases. Then we started to build um, uh, online uh, transactional processing databases, which had their own set of properties. And then one day we woke up in the corporation uh, and ended up having uh, all of these uh, databases and something something unplanned happened. Uh, somebody looked around the corporation 
uh, and said, I have all this data, but I don't have data that I can believe. Uh, and I'll, I'll never forget the, uh, the time I was at a place called Aetna Life and Casualty, uh, which was a very large insurance company. Uh, and and uh, the, the head of IT said, Bill, he says, I have 10,000 programmers working for me here, and I can't answer the simplest question. I can't answer how many insurance policies does my company have. And and, uh, and 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 the problem was not that we, did we have or need data, but did we have data uh, that was enterprise-wide that could be believed. And so the whole notion of a database being a single uh, source of data for all processing uh, needed to change. Uh, in that day and age, it was thought that uh, transaction processing was the only way that we should be using data. And I, I happened to be a writer at a, a journal called Computer World, and I introduced the notion in Computer World uh, that there ought to be other uses for data than transaction processing. And when I said this, uh, this was like a blasphemy against God. You would never believe, <laughs> you would never believe the... Uh, uh, the the messages that I got. I still have a collection of them. Every now and then I go back to my collection, uh, but I was told that I should never be allowed to speak in public again. I was told that uh, uh, I was setting the industry back 25 years, that I was an anarchist, uh, and then I was sent messages that had language and words that are not repeatable on this program. And, and, and for, for whatever, whatever reason, people hated the idea that we should be able to use data for more than transaction processing. Uh, in any case, uh, I, I, I went ahead and persevered, and that's where the idea of a data warehouse came from, uh, that you needed enterprise-wide data uh, that could be used for analytical processing, uh, that you could do something besides transaction processing. And uh, it's kind of interesting because in the early days, uh, the vendors of technology, IBM, Oracle, uh, Microsoft, were dead set against a database, a data warehouse. And, and uh, they had invested so much in their own database <coughs> databases that they didn't want anybody interfering with what the what they said so so the first people that started to support and recognize the value of data warehouse were the uh, marketing people of the world the marketing and uh, sales people of the world recognized the value and I used to do conferences where uh, everybody in the conference was for marketing. The IT people had totally rejected the idea of, of a data warehouse. So from, a, from a, an organizational standpoint, uh, there was an organization in California uh, called Pactel Cellular. And we were working as a consultant with Pactel Cellular. And for whatever reason... Uh, Pactel Cellular decided to build a data warehouse. Now, this was in the day and age when uh, cellular telephone was just beginning. Uh, 
that that their people don't realize once upon a time there were no cell phones. Well, uh, 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 this was in the very early days. And Pactel Cellular built a very successful uh, data warehouse. And the next thing you know is the other cellular telephone companies uh, heard, oh my gosh, uh, Pactel Cellular's got this thing called a data warehouse. We have to have one too. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, top management went down to the IT people and said, build us a data warehouse. Uh, it, it wasn't the IT people uh, that supported data warehousing. It was management uh, wanting to uh, maintain uh, uh, their, their lead in the, the marketplace of cellular telephones. Uh, that was the start of data warehouse. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, uh, a guy named uh, Walton, who was head of uh, Walmart, uh, came along, and he wrote a book in which he talked about, not, not extensively, but it was in the book, he talked about uh, data warehousing in his book and how they were using it at Walmart. Well, once the cellular telephone companies and Walmart started using data warehouse, then it started to spread like wildfire, that soon everybody needed and wanted to start to use data warehouse. And so that was the, uh, uh, that was the origins of data warehouse. Uh, uh, the vendors uh, in particular, IBM, Oracle, and Microsoft never supported. And to this day, my, IBM does not support data warehouse. I think it's really kind of interesting how, how 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 an organization can make millions of dollars off of something that they don't support, but but that's life, and and uh, and I and 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 and, and that's the way it happened. Uh, from yeah, it's intriguing to 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 hear, Bill. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, IBM having Cognos now and building those uh, inside solutions. They have Watson to to do these insights, but. A takeaway from this is that the vendors were more interested in the transactional systems and only wanted to sell those type of solutions instead of the, the data warehouse and the analytics. And at the same time as well, the business saw the value and they were driving, but IT didn't understand the business value. So still, back in those days already was the misalignment between business strategy and IT and technology strategy and what you can do with that. So taking it a bit, a hop in and how it, go, it goes further. Absolutely. <clears throat> the vendors were making so much money off of transaction processing that they didn't want to change anything. And, and the world changed, but the vendors didn't change. And, and, uh, and to some extent, we still see that today. Uh, Oracle has gotten to be a little bit better about supporting data warehouse. Uh, uh, data warehouse at IBM is like a swear word. It, it, it's like a word that you can't use. Um, anyway, that's their problem because IBM has uh, lost market share and, and, and continue to lose market share. And so anyway, um, uh, it didn't stop there. So uh, when data warehouse first came out, uh, uh, the only thing people use data warehouse for uh, were for structured systems, because that's what we had at the time. It was really more a historical thing. Um, and so data warehouse ended up right, wrong, or indifferent. 
uh, data warehouse ended up being uh, something that was used for structured systems. Uh, in today's world, we have something quite different. Uh, in addition to structured systems, and structured systems, don't get me wrong, are still very valuable. But uh, in today's world, uh, we have text that people are starting to recognize the value uh, that's, that's found in text. Uh, we have analog IoT data, uh, data coming from machines all over. And so the world of data today is a much more diverse, much more complex world uh, than the world that uh, Data Warehouse uh, came into being. And so, uh, so today, uh, you, you have a different kind of architectural structure. Uh, you have something called the Data Lakehouse. Now, the, the origins of the Data Lakehouse are kind of interesting, that a while back, somebody, I don't know who, uh, uh, came along and said, we need something called a data lake. And, and so they said, what you do is you take all this data, you put it into a data lake, and what happens is, is you can then go use the data for analytical processing. And in case after case, a uh, very short order, a data lake turns into a data swamp that people found out that they can't use the data in the data lake and, and for, um, for many valid reasons. I have yet to find one person anywhere to come up to me and say, oh, we have a very successful uh, data lake. Data lake architecturally was an amateurish, very, <laughs> I, I, I don't like to use this word, but it was a stupid idea. And I don't know who came up with it, but it was a really poorly thought out, dumb idea. So people have these things called data lakes that's not doing them any good. Uh, uh, they need to go beyond data lake. They need to turn the data lake into something that is useful. Uh, in order to turn the data lake into something that's useful, uh, they, they, they need to do two things. Uh, they need to create what's called an analytical infrastructure. Uh, the analytical infrastructure allows you to find data uh, in your data lake, and then they need to integrate the data in the data lake. That, uh, that just throwing data into a data lake does no good. You've got to put the data in the data lake in a, uh, a form that, uh, can be used for analytical processing. So uh, in today's world, uh, in yesterday's world, we had data warehouse. In today's world, with the diversity of data that we have out there, uh, we have a need for uh, 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 something, uh, an architectural structure that's different. We need the data lake house. Now, the data lake house, a question I get asked all the time. She says, gee, Bill, isn't a data lake house the same thing as a data warehouse? And that is actually a very complex question. So let me, let me go through the question. If you take the definition of a data warehouse, uh, uh, what a data warehouse is and was today, 
uh, uh, then yes, a data lake house is the same thing as a data warehouse from a, from a definitional standpoint. But from the standpoint of content and structure and an organization, no, a, a data lake house and a data warehouse are two very different things. Why? And the reason why is, is because the data warehouse really only ever contains structured data, but the data lake house contains textual data uh, uh, and contains um, uh, 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 analog IoT data itself. And you don't treat textual data and analog data the same way you treat structured data. It, they, they, are, uh, they are completely different environments. So, so in some regards, a data lake house is a data warehouse. In other regards, a data lake house is not a data where uh, a data lake house is not a data warehouse at all. When people say, "Gee, can you explain this better?" I, okay, let me paint an image for you. Suppose you have two young cousins, two 10-year-old cousins sitting in the same room. One is a young boy and one is a young girl. When you look at the cousins, you see a, a facial similarity. You see the color of their hair, the color of their skin, their body type. It's obvious that there is a relationship between the two cousins. But if you were to look at the DNA of the cousins, you indeed would find out that they have different DNA. And, and for, for one thing, uh, one person is a female and the other is a male. So, uh, uh, so are these people related? Yes, these cousins are related. Are they twins? No, they're not twins. And, and, and that is the best I can do to describe the relationship between a data warehouse and a data lake house. Yes, there are some similarities. No, they are not the same thing. So is that more on, on the technical level? I understand the data lake, like you said, it was a data swamp, it was a mistake, but it came with, with big data where, well, we had open source, we had uh, software for storing data on commodity hardware. It was very cheap to keep all data aside. And we put everything in there, like you say, unstructured data, log data, everything, but it was not integrated. And now understanding that it needs to be easier in a consumable way, that's where the concept from the, the lake house comes from. You integrate it in a better way, you try to align that, and depending on what type of data you put in there, you can refer it more to the data warehouse than to the data swamp, if I understand what you were uh, explaining, Bill. Let me, let me kind of back up and, 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 and recast what you said, that the vendors of the world, when they looked at data warehouse, thought that, oh my gosh, what we need to do is manage volumes of data. And, and indeed, volumes of data are, are one of the characteristics of a data warehouse. But what the vendors of the world <clears throat> neglected to do was to talk about the whole notion of integration. You don't just put data into a data warehouse, you have to integrate it. So 
the vendors of the world supported the idea of uh, managing volumes of data, but when you when it comes to integration, they 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 have a blind spot in their brain. They 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 don't they don't uh, they don't get it uh, uh, wh- when it comes to the whole notion of integration. And if you don't believe me, take a look at Hadoop. Once upon a time, uh, Hadoop was what everybody had to have. Hadoop. Let's just put. But but Hadoop was was take a look at where Hadoop is today. It's nowhere. And 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 why is because Hadoop solved the problem of volumes of data, but they didn't solve the problem of integration of data. And and uh, that the whole notion of integration of data is is a very complex subject. When I when I talk about integration of data, I typically tell people integrating data is like planting tomatoes in your backyard in the springtime. That you can't plant your tomatoes in your backyard without getting your hands dirty. That that you can't do it. I don't know, maybe somebody can do it, but I, I certainly can't do it. <laughs> And my wife can't do it. When you plant tomatoes, you get your hands dirty. Well, vendors and consultants hate getting their hands dirty. They just don't like dirty hands. Well, uh, if you're going to integrate your data, you've got to get your hands dirty. Yeah, I mean, speaking from from experience as well, doing a lot of data integration and ETL stuff uh, on the technical level, and still trying to match uh, all the data together. I completely get it. Uh, uh, what what you're saying, Bill? It's kind of we have the magic sauce, and you throw in all your data, and it aligns together in a, such a way. You once told us as well the one version of the tu- of the truth as well to multiple versions of the truth, which I believe more depending on the context where you're working in, this is the, the version you're trying to align. You, you referred it in the beginning of our conversation as well of how many policies do I have that insurer you've been working with and how many subscribers uh, do we have. Those type of, of definitions, that, that's very important on integrating your data. You do a lot of work as well in, into more the semantic space and the text analytics. Is that something where you see that is the next step up onto the data lake house or the lake house concept? Uh, it's strange that you mentioned that because uh, 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 from the standpoint of business value, if you look at it from the standpoint of business value, there is tremendous business value uh, in corporations wrapped up in text that uh, everyone is ignoring that that for whatever reason uh, they 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 just don't want to uh, uh, look into text uh, and and um, uh, they instead want to go to um, things okay there's been recent some, some recent, issues and things that have come up in text. People say, gee, Bill, what about chat GPT? Isn't chat GPT uh, 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 relating to text? And indeed, indeed, don't get me wrong, chat GPT is elegant. It does some very interesting things. It does things that haven't been done before. uh, uh, and, And it does operate on text. 
and and no question about it. However, uh, ChatGPT looks at external data. ChatGPT is good for looking at data out on the internet uh, uh, and other places. And 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 some corporations undoubtedly do need to look at external data. There's nothing wrong with that. And <coughs> ChatGPT has certainly opened that door up. But the value in the corporation is not external data. It's internal data. It's, it's the sales that you have. It's what customers are saying about you. It's the contents of medical records. There, there's many uh, uh, places in the corporation where there's mm-hmm. tremendous business value uh, that needs to be waiting, uh, opened up. And, and ChatGPT can operate on data internally, but the cost of using ChatGPT internally uh, on your internal data is prohibitive. It, 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 the training that ChatGPT has got to go through to get to your internal data is, is, is quite frankly, beyond belief. Uh, 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 and, and so uh, when I look at, when people say, gee, Bill, hasn't ChatGPT opened the door up to text? Well, in a way they have, in a way they, in a way the answer is yes, uh, but, but in a way it's still a great mystery as to what's going on in the corporation uh, with, with the internal data. And, and quite frankly, in terms of business value, Chat GPT does not drive business value unless Chat GPT, uh, unless your corporation is looking at external data. And and again, I'm sure there are a few corporations in the world that do look at external data. And if that's the case, then Chat GPT is a wonderful tool. But 99% of the corporations in the world aren't concerned with what's going on on the internet. They're concerned with the sales their organization is making. They're concerned with what the customer is saying about their product. Uh, they need the internalized version of, of, uh, of, uh, of what's going through text. So there, there is this, I, I liken text to California in 1848. We are told by the historians that in 1848, you could walk into the streams of California and pick up gold. And according to the historians, you could actually do that. Well, people discovered gold in California in 1848. And in 1849, the whole population of the United States started running to California. And, and, and so... Uh, uh, the the world of text is like California in 1848. Uh, that uh, it's just waiting there right now. You can go pick up these uh, uh, wonderful business value uh, gems that are going to make your you know. And then you say, okay, Bill, give me some idea about the value of internal text in the corporation. Uh, one value. Uh, that that makes a, a lot of sense is going out to the internet and going to 
um, uh, your corporate emails and going to your call centers in your corporation and taking those sources of information and hearing the voice of your customer, uh, being able to say, gee, my customer is saying uh, this about my product. My customer would like to have this. And believe me, corporations that listen to their customers are corporations that are going to be very successful because it's going to increase their revenue. It's going to increase the number of customers they have. Uh, it's going to take away from their competitors, and, and they're going to end up being the winners in the marketplace. If a corporation doesn't listen to their customers, uh, their business is, is on shaky ground. And so uh, uh, one, one way in which text plays a great role is in terms of listening to the voice of your customer. Uh, let me give you another example of where text plays a, uh, a great role, and that is in medical records. The current medical record that we have in the world uh, is written in the form of text. And that's good for the one doctor, and that's good for one patient. That when a doctor goes to read a patient's records, uh, reading it in the form of text is, 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 is what the doctor expects, and that's good. However, uh, if you want to look not at one patient, but at 100,000 patients, like in COVID, when COVID came around, we, the world, discovered that, oh my gosh, we've got to be able to look at not 100,000, we've got to look at millions of customers. And what do we find when we can look at millions of customers? Uh, we find that we can now do correlative analytics. We can say, how does COVID relate to smoking? How does COVID relate to cancer? How does COVID relate to gender and race yeah. and age and, and all of the important factors. And these are, if you're, if you're going to get a grip on COVID, you've got to be able to look at millions of records of, of, of patients. However, as long as those patient records are wrapped up in the form of text, there's not really a whole lot you can do with them because you can't get a human being to sit there and read the text for a hundred thousand records, you just that that just doesn't work, and and so uh, another really important case for uh, reading text is is in terms of medicine and healthcare, and 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 I could and if you, you probably don't want me to get started on this topic because I can go <laughs> on for forever. Uh, let me give you one more one more use case. Uh, uh, the, and, and one that is kind of my pet peeve in life, and, 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 and that's in corporate contracts. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to groups of executives and say, okay, how many executives here know, down to the penny, what's in your corporate contracts? And to date, not one executive has ever said, oh, yeah, we know it's in our corporate contracts. And, and then I say, well, I guess I'm kind of confused. You guys are executives, right? Oh, yeah, we're executives. And, and you're in charge of corporate liability. Oh, yeah, we understand risk and liability. Well, don't you think there's liability in your corporate contracts? 
And and at the end of the day, that's one of the purposes of a corporate contract. And 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 uh, um, so and and at this point in time, the executives. Uh, they look kind of look down at the ground and kind of mumble, and they say, well, uh, you see, Bill, we've got millions of corporate contracts, and each one is different. We can't look at every contract. Or, or they say, well, we've been running our corporation for 50 years this way, and, and uh, uh, we haven't had to look at them yet, so we'll just continue. And, and so for whatever reason, uh, executives haven't discovered that indeed, once you can start to process text, <clears throat> you can look at all of your corporate contracts. But I gave up on that one a long time ago because I, I, I talked to, I don't know how many executive groups, and I couldn't find one executive that was actually interested in finding out what was going on in their corporate contracts. So uh, uh, it, it's much more uh, fertile to look at uh, marketing people. Marketing people, the ones that are not asleep, uh, marketing people are, are, are interested in knowing what their customer is saying. Yeah, so, I fully, fully understand. <laughs> you, you gave me some takeaways on, on, on that, Bill. Uh, liability contracts made me think of, well, we have enough lawyers, we pay them enough money, and they take care of the liability. We don't need text, text analytics. That's the feeling I get from there. But I fully understand what you say on, on finding those hidden gems and, and tightening those contracts by being able with the technology and, and the semantics, what we have in, available right now, this day, you can do that. If I'm thinking about generative AI, that you can apply to these contracts in such a way where you said... Most companies looking onto a, with JetGPT onto external data, but you have the large language models that, which you already can apply onto your local data. There is a risk in there because they're not so precise as special narrow uh, AI models to find those those uh, that information and those hidden gems. So I think we're on the path to get there. But another thing is the semantics and the ontology, trying to understand what is really in that business data, the business glossary as such, which is still a hard way, which we did back in the days manually. You understood the business and you, you knew that you had to build a product dimension. You had to build a, a customer dimension. And, and based upon that, you were able to dissect the organization and give those insights of how many customers do we have? How many invoices? How much is our revenue per invoice, per customer, per region? And those type of questions which we uh, could answer back back in the days already, but with a lot of manual uh, labor. And I think with with generative AI and the large language models, we're coming close to be able to uh, to do that. Maybe still a few years to go, but at the rapid speed, what these models are developing, uh, there's they're still yeah. I, let's hope we can crack all that that information in in the text uh, which is lying down and finally get to your insights which you've been preaching for the last 40 years already and getting those insights from from the hidden uh, text in there and and what what you say as well on top of that is within uh, call centers where you have all the audio that has been recorded we now can transform that into text and understand what is the the problem of the customer and you can do that even with generative ai in real time so that's that's 
that's a real big evolution where I uh, feel that that your vision from back in the days is, is finally coming to fruition as such. When you think about, you said, you, you talk to the, the, the executives as well, where do they really mishit the ball trying to find uh, the hidden gems into their data, getting the value out of that? What is the next step they could do? So first, maybe, where are they uh, mishitting the ball to get the insights from the data? Let me let me tell you a little story. As you were talking, I thought of a, I say this is a humorous story. This is not humorous at all. This is a very sad story. Uh, the company in the United States uh, that has the most lawsuits against him is a large company called Johnson Johnson. They are a pharmaceutical company on the east coast of the United States. And, and uh, so one day, uh, a while back, uh, we approached Johnson Johnson and said, uh, gee, how would you like to uh, be able to listen to what your customer is saying and be able to anticipate a lawsuit rather than have a lawsuit? Because if you can anticipate a lawsuit, it's much less expensive, much easier to head off the lawsuit than to have the actual lawsuit. So so we presented this idea to Johnson & Johnson. And, and I, by the way, I'm not making this up. This is the truth. And so Johnson & Johnson lawyers came back and said, Bill, Johnson & Johnson has got a whole army of lawyers. And if you were able to head off lawsuits, what are these lawyers going to do? These lawyers are well employed and we, they don't want to become unemployed. So, uh, so we like these lawsuits. And, and I, I thought, you know, uh, this is ridiculous because uh, uh, um, uh, law, uh, a company telling me that it likes lawsuits is, is, is absurd, uh, just plain absurd. And so anyway, um, uh, uh, th that, that's, that's one story. Uh, what, what can people do today? Uh, I'm happy to report to you that there are some organizations in the world. By the way, one of the things that, 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 that strikes me really, really strange is we do, Forestrim Technology does a lot of work, but nearly all of our customers are outside the United States. Uh, the United States, and, I, and as an American citizen, uh, it, it bothers me to say this, but it's the truth. Uh, uh, the American corporations have gone to sleep. And, and, and the, the, the people that are the forward-thinking leaders of the people uh, of the world are outside the United States. Uh, places like Abu Dhabi, uh, France, Australia, uh, um, uh, uh, South America... Mexico, uh, of all of the places, everywhere but the United States. And, 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 and I, I can't explain that. I, and again, as an American citizen, that really, really bothers me because that does not portent well for, for the future for the United States. But uh, at any rate, uh, uh, the, there are corporations out there that are starting to unlock the secrets of uh, of text and and what's going to happen is 
the same phenomenon is going to occur that occurred at Pactel Cellular and Data Warehouse. There are going to be a few companies that start to unlock text and start to move forward with it and have success with it. Then the next thing you know is uh, a few people in their industry are going to say, oh, my gosh, look look what XYZ company is doing. Uh, we need to find out how that happens. And so uh, uh, it's going to be the forces of the marketplace uh, that pry open uh, the, the minds of people uh, to, to uh, uh, we, uh, we recently had, and I'm not going to name the name of the company, but we had an experience with an oil company uh, that uh, uh, the, we showed the oil company uh, a glimpse of what could be done with text, and the data scientist shut it down. The data scientists came along, and they were—they had been working on this problem for five years. I'm not making this up, by the way. They've been working on this problem for five years' time. Uh, we came in and uh, with the right technology and the right approach. In two weeks' time, uh, we showed the corporation what could be done and how to do it. And instead of being thrilled with the success, the data scientists were embarrassed. They said, "Oh my gosh!" Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, and 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 so uh, so so there is that. And again, I'm not going to name the name of the uh, company or the country, but uh, uh, the the data scientists. Uh, uh, not everywhere. There there are data scientists that do want to have genuine progress for their corporations. But data scientists are like a jealous brother and sister says, well, you can't do that. I'm the one that gets to do that. And, and uh, so, uh, so it is going to happen that there's going to be uh, marketplace success with text. And then once that happens, like the day that uh, Walton uh, wrote his book, uh, on Walmart uh, uh, about the uh, success Walmart was having. Uh, that 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 was the day the data warehousing really started, and the same thing is going to happen uh, with text. Yeah, uh, well, wonderful worlds, uh, uh, Bill. With all that knowledge, how how do you stay updated? Do you have any sources that you frequently visit? Uh, a lot of papers that you read. Or you just uh, relax and enjoy uh, your retirement and, and just see what is happening with the world. But I, I feel you're still very passionate about all that data and the hidden gems which we can get out of there. You talked about the technology as well that you're using to get these insights in two weeks instead of the people already crunching it for five years and not getting to the same results you were able to get in two weeks. So that, that triggered me to understand what technology are you using and which approach are you using? Because technology alone can't solve all, all these issues uh, and bring the insights. It's a combination of various factors. Um, uh, 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 first off, I'm going to retire when I die. Uh, when, when I'm six <laughs> feet under the earth uh, is when Bill Inman will retire. And uh, uh, so I have no intention of retiring. Uh, second off, how do I get my information? I talk with corporations 
all the time. <clears throat> I talk with uh, probably 15 corporations a week. And by talking to corporations, listening to what they say, hearing what their problems are, uh, uh, that's actually how I stay abreast of, of the marketplace. Um, so, so, but in terms of retiring, <clears throat> I have no intention. I have no intention of, of retiring. By the way, my, the, 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 the cough that I have in my throat. In Denver, we've had something that's kind of, we've never had it before. But there are these wildfires that are occurring in Canada. And, and the Canadians are sending the smoke from Canada down to Denver. And the air that we breathe here uh, uh, is, is, is bad, bad air. And, and um, they, they tell me that breathing in Denver is the equivalent of smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. And, and, but, but, you know, you know what are you going to do? Stop breathing? And, and so uh, uh, the, 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 the air that I breathe uh, uh, is uh, uh, irritating my throat. So, I, and I, I can't help it, and uh, I can't help it. So anyway, in terms of the technology that, that is there that is available, that does have large language modules, that we've worked out those problems, is something called my company, Forest Rim Technology. And uh, Forest Rim Technology is able to take text, uh, turn text into a database with context. It's one thing to go in and look at text and just uh, tag the text and pick out the, the words of the text. And that needs to be done, and that's important. But text is kind of funny. Uh, it doesn't do you any good to have text unless you have context. That context is an equal partner with text. And we've been doing this now for a number of years. And I can tell you that 95% that of the battle is not in handling text, but in handling context. Con and, and the reason why language is, is, is more complex than people ever imagine. Take the word fire. What does the word fire mean? Well, it can mean that your house is burning and it's on fire. Uh, it can mean that your boss wants to uh, get you out of the company and you've got fired. It means that you're holding a gun and pulling the trigger and you've now fired the gun. And, 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 and if we look further, I'm sure there are other meanings of the word fire. And, and so words in and of themselves, language is very complex. And so when you go to do language processing, uh, uh, it's not enough just to look at the text. Uh, you've also got to look at the context. And the context is immensely more complex than the text is itself. And so we at Forest Rim, we've been working on this pro problem now for going on 23 years. I'm, I, people say, Bill, 23 years to work on a problem? Uh, you must be a stubborn person. Well, let me tell you, the two most stubborn people that ever walked this earth 
were my mother and my father. So I, 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 I come by stubbornness, honestly. But, uh, uh, but, but the, the, the problem of how do you handle text? People talk about large language mo mo modules. Uh, they talk about all this text. Uh, um, I, I, I don't like to get into the subject a lot, but uh, they, they're using what's called the NLP approach. Natural language processing approach. The problem with natural language processing is that natural language processing was never designed to be a commercial product. It was designed as a research product uh, to understand language. And for that, it serves its purpose. It's great at that. But in terms of doing commercial processing against text, that's why uh, um, NLP has set the world back by decades by taking the approach that they have. And so if you want to find out uh, how to, a commercial approach to doing it, you need to look at Forestrim technology because we do it every day. And, and we do it for oil companies. Uh, we do it for uh, uh, call center organizations. Uh, we do it for manufacturers, and 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 so uh, uh, and 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 we we've cracked the code on how do you handle. Now you say, "Gee, Bill, what's the secret to Forestrim uh, doing what it does?" Well, there's really several secrets, but uh, one of the secrets is ontologies. We know how to create and manage and handle ontologies better than anybody on this planet. Uh, th that's the heart of being able to uh, handle and manage text. Plus, uh, we have the, tech the technology uh, that does the interpretation. Uh, so, so I liken it to the human body. There's the brain and the heart. You need the brain to tell you what to do, but you need the heart to pump the blood to make your body work. And, and, and so uh, Forestrim has gotten those. It's, again, it's taken us 23 years or so to develop it. Uh, but uh, we can sit down with a straight face. We can sit down and tell somebody, yeah, uh, we can take your uh, uh, customer sentiment and do it with uh, context, uh, and we can do it. Uh, it typically takes us a couple of hours to do uh, the work uh, uh, for a customer, uh, and the, the same amount of work uh, would take years to do with NLP. So if you want a commercial uh, uh, approach to, to handling text, you need to look at textual ETL. Yeah, and that's the ontology part. I mean, you can do it now in a few hours where you spent 23 years upon being able to do that. And the ontologies and, and the approach what you're using, that's that's industry agnostic because sometimes you can find ontologies which are specific for insurance uh, companies, but you can't use them for pharmaceutical companies or you can't uh, use that for any other industry. And I think that's that's one of the, the hidden tricks you you find out and crack the code, as you said. Uh, I'm not going to discuss in public here uh, <laughs> exactly how we do it, but uh, we have the world's largest library of ontologies 
industrial ontologies. Uh, we can do airlines, we can do manufacturing, we can do banking, we can do finance. Uh, now, I'm sure somewhere out there there's something we can't do, but uh, in terms of doing 99% of the world's normal business, uh, we already have the ontologies built for that. And we have, and how, how long does it take me to get an ontology for a new business? It takes me about uh, a minute or two. Wow, that's that's amazing. Can't imagine if you if you have those, but there are very likely a lot of analogies between industries, and that's that's part of the secret. Bill, we can go on for a few hours again. I think uh, data connects us all, as I say, to 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 wrap up. But music connects us as well. What is your favorite band or favorite type of music next to all the data stuff, what you're doing? Well, I'm going to date myself and you'll find out how old I really am. Uh, but I, I, I still like the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, it's, there is nothing wrong with those. Uh, well, they still go along and um, they're still performing. It's really amazing. And these are people really passionate about music as well. And they go a long way with, with a, a lot of generations. Bill, it was so great talking to you and understanding more about text analytics, Rimforest, your company, which is really able to do that with the ontologies across industries. That's my really uh, great uh, takeaway. Thanks for your time uh, so much. And Can I say one thing? There, there is one thing yes, that yes. you might be interested in, and it's free. We don't make any money on it. But if you go to the, the Textual ETL, the Forest Rim website, we have a book on text analytics. Uh, if you're interested in how to make text analytics simplified, uh, the book is free. All you have to do is give us your name, and we'll send you the book electronically, uh, no charge. And again, forestrimtech.com. Great one. I'll put it in the comments uh, for this uh, podcast. Bill, great, uh, great so much. Thanks for your time and see you next time. Thank you, Eve. Thank you for joining us on this awesome podcast. As senior executives, data and analytics architects, and AI professionals, your time is valuable and we appreciate you choosing to hang out with us. If you liked what you heard, please give us a thumbs up, hit the subscribe button, and leave a comment. We love hearing from our audience. Don't forget to spread the word on social media, and let's continue to drive innovation in the industry together. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.